James chapter number three. We're going to talk this morning about words. How many of you have used words already this morning? Have they encouraged someone or did you use your words sharply this morning? I want you to look at the person next to you and say this, I'm glad I'm in church this morning. Come on now, that, some of you aren't even using your words. Look at the person, I'm glad I'm in church this morning. And I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. Or you could say this, I'm glad I'm in church this morning and I wish I was sitting next to someone else. Don't tell them that though, that wouldn't be nice. That would be using your words unkindly. So I want you to look at someone next to you and give them a compliment. Come on, you don't have to think. Use your words there. Come on now. Some of you are like, hmm, a compliment, huh? How many of you got a good compliment? All right, good, good. Didn't that feel good, huh? How many of you had to force out a compliment this morning? Be honest. Words. You know, every... Every one of us, we have, we use words. You know, probably this morning when you woke up, it wasn't long before you saw someone and you talked to someone or you communicated with someone. For some, it was probably, I love you. For others, it's, why didn't you get me up earlier? You know, maybe yelling at the kids to get them ready for church. But you use words. I want us to look at James chapter number three. In verse number one, James writes this, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and birds, and serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath not been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. You know, words, words matter, don't they? Words matter. There's a great power in words. Words can either edify or words can destroy. You can use your words to encourage someone today, or you can use your words to destroy. I was watching a, a uh, uh, documentary yesterday about a family that grew up in the life of a, a serial killer. The father was a serial killer. And these two girls grew up not knowing that their dad was a serial killer. And she was telling this, this testimony of growing up, how her dad would use words. And she said she constantly was being put down and she was constantly being told that she wasn't worth much. And she got to be a young adult. And you know what she believed? Everything her father told her. She wasn't allowed to cry growing up, and so she said, I became void of emotion, and, and now as an adult, it's difficult for me to cry because it was ingrained in me that I was not allowed to cry. She was told with words what she was supposed to be. You know, words can either build up or words can destroy. If you're a parent today, 
I hope you really understand that as you're raising your children. Words can either build up or words can destroy. And we find that the Bible has a lot to say about words. The Bible has a lot to say about how we respond and how we act and what we say. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, for the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. You know what comes out of your mouth is really is what's found inside. You know, someone that continually has to apologize for what they're saying and say, you know, I didn't really mean that. Reality is it came out of what the Bible says is your heart. It came out, came from your mouth. We do mean what we say. It comes from someplace. You know, consider God's words in Genesis chapter 1, if you would, please. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Genesis this morning. We're going to be there just for a little while and come back to James in just a moment. But Genesis chapter number 1. I want to look at words this morning. Genesis chapter number one, we find this in God said. Often as you just scan through your Bible there, you'll find in verse number three, and God said, and and in verse number six, and God said, and in verse number nine, and God said, and, and all through this first chapter of the Bible, you'll find where God said or God used his words. Think about the power of words. Here, God created all things with the power of his words. He simply said, and let there be light. He said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. He said, let there be this or that. And and, and, and because of the power of his words, creation became existent there on those six days. You see, don't let someone fool you into thinking that, that uh, 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 there was just a big bang in outer space and, and we just are, are a product of evolution and, and something slimy came upon land and grew legs and began to swing from a tree and, and now we're here today because of evolution. No, we're here today because God said. That's why we're here today. God said. There's power in words. Imagine stepping out into utter darkness and and just from words, light appears. Earth was formed. The the stars were formed. The sun was formed. Everything we see was formed by simply God speaking. There's power in words. God could have created any way he wanted to, but he chose to use his words. God uses words. I want you to see in verse number 26 of chapter number one, if you would please. And God said, let us make man in our own image. Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our own image after likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You find God speaking. You know, God uses words to reveal himself. He said, I want to make man in my own image. He uses words here as he's speaking. God also uses words to give man purpose. He said in verse number 28, and he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. You find where God is using words to communicate who he is and what he desires mankind to do. He's using words. Communication is important. 
And God, all the way back in the beginning of, of mankind, in the beginning of this earth, he used his words to create it. He used his words to describe himself. He used his words to, to command mankind what he desires from them. We find also God uses words to command us. He gave them command of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. He told them that there's a tree in the garden that you're not to eat of, and he, he gave them a command of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do, and he used his words to do this. You know, not only God, we find using his words in Genesis chapter, uh, first chapter, first book of Genesis, also in Genesis chapter 3, just a page or so over, I want you to see Satan also uses words. So God uses words to create. God uses words to give us purpose. God uses words to give us command. But we also find in the beginning, Satan also uses words. Look with me in verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, you see that he said, he spoke, he used words. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's asking this question. And he know the answer. And woman said unto, unto serpent, Eve, saying this to serpent, she's using words, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. See, there was a conversation taking place. Satan was using his words to tempt Eve. Eve was responding with words, and she was saying, and God said this. It goes on to say, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. The tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Satan uses words. God uses words to create. God uses words to, to give man purpose. I want you to see the con, uh, contrast here. Satan also is using words, but Satan is using words to deceive us about God. He's saying to Eve, you know, what did God say? The reason why God said that was different than what he said. You know, Satan still today, maybe not in audible voices, but we can still be tempted and he still tries to deceive us. His whole purpose in life is to deceive us, to get us to be something that God desires us not to be. He uses words to deceive. You also find in this same portion of Scripture, he uses words to distract you know, he got, he got Eve looking at something that God said for Eve not to even consider. He uses words. He said, have you, have you noticed this? Have you seen this? And the Bible says that after she heard him, she looked and she saw that it was good to eat. She saw something she had not paid attention to before. You see, Satan uses words to deceive and he uses words to distract. He's trying to get you off course. He's trying to get you to the place where you're not listening to the voice of God, but you're listening to His voice. And His voice always deceives, and His voice always distracts from what God has for us. See, words are important. Words can either help or words can hinder. I want you to turn back with me to the book of James. The book of James. 
as you're turning there, back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we see God's words create. We see that God's words edify. We see that God's words help. We see that God's words give us commands. We see that God's word gives us the purpose of life. Then we see that Satan's words distract and deceive. James, James knowing how important words are. James, they say, is the half-brother of Jesus. Could you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? You'd never win an argument. He was always right. When Joseph and Mary came in and wanted to know who did something or you know, who, 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 who messed something up, they couldn't point to Jesus and say it was all his fault. He was perfect. Imagine you get in an argument with Jesus as a child. You'd never win. He knew everything. James, understanding how important words are. He tells us in this chapter, tells us some things that we need to recognize. He says, my brother, in verse number one, be not many masters, knowing that, the, that ye shall receive the greater condemnation. He's saying here that we aren't to be many teachers. You know what teachers do? Teachers instruct. How many teachers do we have in here today? Could you imagine teaching without words? Just showing up in your class? Showing up in front of your students? I remember my mom as a teacher. She's been a teacher as long as I can remember. And there was times that she would get a sore throat or by the end of the day from speaking, she'd come home and she couldn't speak. And then she'd have to call out the next day because if she can't go in to te- uh, speak, she can't teach if her voice isn't working correctly because here she has to instruct. James is saying here, be careful not to be many teachers or many masters. Be careful that, that you, you aren't using your words in areas that you're not prepared or ready to, re- to use them. I want you to write this down. Number one, what James is saying here in verse number one is recognize the great responsibility of words. Be careful of those that are always giving their opinion or instructing. Do you, know, do you ever know one of those that it seems like no matter what subject you're talking about, they know all the answers? I mean, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. They're always going to one-up you. They're always going to know it a little bit better. They're always going to put their, 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 their two cents into it because they know everything. And James here is giving a caution. He's saying you need to recognize there's a great responsibility with your words. Be careful. You don't always have to give an opinion. You don't always have to have a say. Be careful not to be many teachers or be careful not to be many masters knowing this, that your words you're going to be accountable for one day. Your words. Recognize there's a great responsibility in your words. Number two, I want you to write this down. Recognize there's great potential in offending with your words. Words offend. You know, we need to be very careful, Christian, that we aren't on purpose using our words to offend. You know, there are some that say this, you know what, I don't really care what people think. You know, I'm going to give, I'm going to tell people what I really think. And James is giving a caution here. He's saying, I want you to recognize there is great potential in offending. You can offend with your words, with what you're saying. 
I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would please. Romans, just, just back a few books in the New Testament. Romans chapter number 3, if you would please. Romans chapter number 3. And when you get to Romans chapter number 3, if you'd find verse number 13. Romans 3, 13, the writer here of Romans is going to tell us about words. He says this in verse number 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, could you imagine that being a description of you? Their throat. You see that there? Their throat is an open sepulcher. They're, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. What he's saying there is their words are used to destroy. Their words are used to offend. Every single person here has the opportunity to use words to offend or use words to edify. You know, every husband here today, you have the opportunity to encourage your wife or you have the opportunity to hurt your wife. Every wife here today, you have an opportunity to uplift and, and build up your husband or you have an opportunity to use your tongue to offend, to say unkind things. James is saying here we need to recognize there is great potential in offending. He says, whose mouth is full of cursing and in bitterness. Where does that come from? That comes from the person's heart. Their heart is full of bitterness. Their heart is full of cursing. And if you don't get that settled in your heart, you know where it's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to come out of the mouth. It's going to hurt. Write this down, if you would, please. Go back to the book of James. Once you write this down, we need to recognize, number one, there's great responsibility in our words. That number two, there's, there's great potential in offending with our words. And number three, we need to recognize there's great power in the tongue. James is going to show us here there's great power in the tongue. And James is going to use three illustrations to show how mighty the tongue is. Now, how many of you have ever ridden a horse before? I grew up, my grandfather up in Michigan, we'd go and visit him, and next to him, there was a family that had a, had a horse farm. And I remember as kids, we want to go see our grandfather for two reasons. Number one, there was horses next door, and number two, when we left, he gave us a roll of quarters. Never forget that. Those were two good reasons to visit Grandpa. As soon as we got there, we'd give Grandpa and Grandma a hug and a kiss. We'd say um, hello, and we'd run out next door, hoping the neighbors were home because they had horses. And, and if they were home, even if they weren't out at the horses, they would go to the barn with us, and they would saddle up the horses. They'd put those bits in the horse's mouth, and they'd let us ride. Now, when I was a kid, it looked and seemed like their yard was huge, and these trails were long. I've driven back there as an adult, and their yard was just a small little yard. The area was small, but boy, as a kid, it seemed like it was forever, and it was so much fun. Now, how many of you have ever got bucked off a horse? Anybody? Yeah, good. Good company then. I remember getting up on a horse one of those times, and, and that horse not wanting me on him, and that horse running away and I'm on the ground. And they were showing me how to hold those reins and, and, and how to ride a horse. And, and it was amazing, this big, massive 
horse much bigger than me, I could actually sit on top of and tell him or her, whatever it was, what to do and where to go. All by this little bit that was in that horse's mouth. James says, number one, your tongue is that way. Your tongue is like this bit. It is controlling this big beast of a horse. The other, the other thing he, um, James says in verse number two, he says, it's, it's also like a ship. You know, these big, huge ships that are so great, you know how they're controlled? He said there's just this little, this little uh, 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 small helm. And that, 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 that captain or that governor, he just turns that small little helm and the entire ship moves the direction of that small little helm. He says, first of all, it's like this bit in a horse's mouth. Secondly, he said it's like this helm on a ship. And then he says this in verse number five, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. He talks about a spark. It's a, it's a small little spark, but it causes such a great fire. Great fire. Has anybody ever taken a magnifying glass in the sun and tried to start a little fire? Huh? Some small little spark can cause a great fire. Growing up, I had a friend of mine that he was playing with matches in his bedroom on his bed. And uh, uh, we lived in Philadelphia at the time and lived in a row home. And, and uh, he was in his room and he was, he was flicking matches at his brother as his brother was there and, and uh, flipped, the, flicked the match. And before it went out, it hit, the, it hit the, beds, uh, the bed coverings and his bed went up in flames and his room went up in flames. And before you knew it, the whole house was up in flames. Just from a little spark. It caused great damage. And James says the same thing is like your tongue. Recognize there's great power in your tongue. You know, show me a man or show me a woman who's, who's stirred up strife or who's, who's a gossip or who's criticized everything due to a, a proud or critical heart. And we'll show you someone who has hurt many people along the way. You know, hurting people is not something that we ought to wear as a badge of honor as Christians. There are Christians, if you were honest, you'd look into your past, you'd look back behind you, and you would see relationship after relationship that has been hurt because of words that have been said. Arguments that have been had, or, or, or negative things that have been said, critical things that have been said. James is reminding us that there is great power in the tongue. You know, this morning, if everyone would recognize this, that words hurt. I know you've heard this before, and I've said this before, that old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The reality is this, words hurt. Words hurt. Words will hurt more than a broken bone for a long period of time. You know, you might break a bone. You might, you might get injured as a child and forget all about it. I was, uh, uh, when I was four years old, I was standing on my tricycle looking into our, our big window into a, uh, where we live there in Wyoming. And, and I remember looking and, and then falling off of my tricycle. I don't remember what happened after that, but, but they tell me they took me to the hospital and, and I got stitches right in my back of my head because I was standing and I fell backwards. I don't remember. They don't hurt anymore. I don't even know they're there. 
I don't even know the scar. I don't see it. It doesn't bother me. It's not something I continually think of. But there has been things that people have said that I'll never forget. You know, there are things, critical things or unkind things that have been said that you can't just get out of your memory. Something maybe a, a, a child said or something a teacher said or something a sibling said or maybe something a parent said. Those are things that once they're inside, they do damage and they can hurt and you can never take them out. You know, it's easy to forgive, but it's so difficult to forget, isn't it? You can say to someone, I forgive you, but what that person has said sticks in your mind forever. Words hurt. And many people, and many people have been affected deeply by them. You know, Christian, I believe this, that everything we say, it ought to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we say, it ought to point others to Jesus Christ. But sometimes, if we're not careful, what comes out of our mouth doesn't point people to Christ. Sometimes what it does is it shows us who we really are. Here we find this. I want you to see in verse number 5, the Bible says, Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among other our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And look what James describes it as. He says, and it is set on fire of hell. That word hell there. That's a Greek word there is Gehenna. Gehenna is what that word there means. If you were to study Gehenna, you would find that it, re it references the place outside of Jerusalem that they would take their trash to and they would continually burn trash 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That trash pile was burning. It was trash. You'd find in the Old Testament, they called it the Valley of Hinnom. And what they did in the Old Testament, they went to that burn pile that was constantly burning with flame, constantly burning with a stench because it was trash that was continually burning. And what the pagans did in the Old Testament times, they would go to that place and they would actually sacrifice their babies there. Disgusting place. A sinful place. Nothing good coming from that place. A place that, that had a foul odor. A place that had sinful actions. People didn't go to this place to play. People didn't go to this place to be encouraged. This was a place they went and they threw the things in their life that they didn't want or need anymore. This was a place where trash went. And this is what James is referring to when he says this. Some of the words, some of the things that are being said, some of the things that can come out of the mouth. It's set on fire of hell. Think about that. Think about that, Christian, when you use your words. Your words today, every single person today has used their words towards someone to either edify them or encourage them. What have your words been used for today? That person sitting next to you or that family sitting down the row with you, do you realize how important or how destructive your words can be? You know, there's many marriages that are almost at the place that cannot be restored because of words that have been said. There's relationships with children and parents that are almost on the verge of not being restored because it's so difficult because of words that have been said. 
There's jobs that have been lost because of words that have been said. There's friendships that are no longer friends. They would at one time ago spend close time together and often spend time together. Now there's no relationship at all and that relationship has been broken because of words. James is warning us here. He's causing us to see how important he's causing us to recognize the damage that words can do if we're not careful. I want you to see here in verse number 11, the Bible goes on to say, let's start in verse number 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? He says, you don't go to a fountain and one time you go it's bitter and the next time you go it's sweet. It's either sweet or it's bitter. He goes on to say, look with me in verse number 12. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olive berries? Either a vine, a figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. I want you to see here, write this down this morning. James is getting us to recognize that our words are an indication of what's in our heart. What's in your heart is what's going to come out. You can try to be something you're not, but eventually what is in your heart is going to come out. I need to hurry here this morning. I want you to recognize number, uh, whatever number we're at, number next. And I want you to write this down. Recognize, though, that there is hope. I, won't, I don't want to leave us at a place where we're discouraged because our tongue has hurt or our tongue has wounded. I don't want to leave us at a place where we realize that we've had broken relationships. There is hope. James doesn't stop in just saying your tongue is a fire. Your tongue is evil. Your tongue can hurt. He also says this. There's hope. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse number 13. Who is, wise, uh, who, is, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? He's asking this question. Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. He said, who is that wise person among you? How do you know someone's wise? You know they're wise because of what comes out of their mouth. What continually comes is, is, is wisdom. What continually comes is something of refreshment. What continually comes is edifying someone else. Meekness of wisdom. He says in verse number 14, But if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. He says, don't be, don't be happy that you've got something wrong inside of you. If you're constantly complaining, if you're constantly fighting, if you're constantly angry, if you're constantly bitter, he said, don't take joy in that. Recognize there's something wrong. Do something about it. A Christian doesn't have to stay in a state of anger or in a state of bitterness. A Christian doesn't have to be unkind. The most positive person in all the world ought to be a Christian. The most kindest person in all the world ought to be a Christian. Recognize that there's hope. He says this in verse number 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envyings and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Look with me in verse number 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? Pure. Then peaceable. Gentle. Easy to be entreated. Full of mercy. Good fruits. Without partiality. 
without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know, Christian, you cannot, in your own strength, control your tongue. But with God's help, each and every one of us can. You know, there is hope. There is hope. You say, boy, I, I've got a critical spirit. I've got a bitter spirit. I've got an angry spirit. And it's constantly coming out of my mouth. And it's constantly hurting other people. And it's constantly affecting me and affecting my relationships. I just don't know what to do. I, I try my hardest. I, I, I try to change. And it just seems like I keep going back to what a, way I used to be. James is saying this. There is hope. That hope is not something that is in you. That hope is found in Jesus Christ. Through him, a wicked heart can be made clean. Through him, a critical spirit can be made, made, made right. To him, an angry spirit can be refreshed. To him, in him, words that used to destroy now can encourage and uplift. But it's only found when I yield my members to Jesus Christ. You know, there's hope. My time is finished today. I need to be through but James found it so imperative here. He found it so important in this chapter here to talk to us about our words and talk to us about our tongue. And I want to ask you this question, just simply this question. Those that are closest to you, are your words encouraging them and bringing peace to their life? Or are your words hurting them, destroying them? causing shame, causing unrest, causing uh, 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 hurt. James says as a Christian, that ought not be so. Every one of us ought to be using our words with the help of Christ to uplift and edify and encourage. That person sitting next to you, in the beginning of the service when I said, look at them and tell them something positive. Or encouraging. That ought to be on a Christian's lips continually. Something that's encouraging and positive. Something that's uplifting. Something that's edifying.